Welcome to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast, coming to you from Gilbert, Arizona. We pray that God will bless your time as you listen. The third Sunday of Advent is called Gaudete Sunday. Rejoice Sunday. Uh, And it usually begins at the homily with the priest lying to you and telling you that he's not wearing pink when you can clearly see that I am. There is a liturgical color, a true rose. It's very beautiful, very expensive. And so that's why in its place we often use pink. The name of this Sunday comes from the ancient entrance chant. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. In the collect, that's the opening prayer, we pray that God would enable us to attain the joys of so great a salvation and to celebrate them always with solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Solemn worship and glad rejoicing. Joy, St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, is caused by love. Love delights or takes pleasure in the goodness of its object. Love rejoices. Joy exceeds happiness. It is impossible that we should always be cheerful. But it is possible, even in difficult times, to rejoice on account of God's love for us, and even more so, on account of God's own goodness and beauty. However, in worship, (coughs) there is always the danger of mistaking frivolity a lack of seriousness, and flippancy, a lack of respect for glad rejoicing. This is the only thing that explains all the the very merry instances of dancing priest at Mass and all the other shenanigans that go along with that, puppets and what have you. They have mistaken what true joy is. This kind of fake cheerfulness is an indifference to the solemnity of the moment and an offense to realities of sorrow, pain, and suffering in our neighbor. This superficial nod to joy, however well-intentioned, is related to irreverence. Our modern society has mistakenly put the notions of joy and solemnity in opposition to one another. St. Thomas Aquinas tells it that solemnity in our worship is ordered to arouse devotion and reverence in the recipients of the sacraments. Liturgical solemnity and glad rejoicing are not opposites. A solemn attitude, spiritually speaking, 
is formal and dignified and characterized by a deep sincerity. It is not the same as being somber or mirthless. When our solemnity becomes grim, dour, or humorless, we have lost the sense of what Christian solemnity is. As Christians, we have lost touch with the true meaning of both solemnity and joy and how they should be expressed in worship. C.S. Lewis wrote that the modern habit of doing ceremonial things unceremoniously is no proof of humility. Rather, it proves the offender's inability to forget himself in the right and his readiness to spoil for everyone else the proper pleasure of ritual. Which one of us here this morning would not be offended by a frivolous and flippant rendition of our national anthem? Who among us would not be saddened to witness informality or irreverence in the burial ceremonies of military honors? There is a pleasure, a joy, which is only experienced when solemn ceremonies are carried out with dignity and seriousness. And what could be more worthy of joyful solemnity and majestic ritual than the making presence of the eternal victim upon our altars as we offer him to our Heavenly Father for our benefit and the benefit of the whole world. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI wrote, wherever applause breaks out in the liturgy because of some human achievement, it is a sure sign that the essence of liturgy has totally disappeared and been replaced by a kind of religious entertainment. Such attraction fades quickly. It cannot compete in the market of leisure pursuits, incorporating, as it increasingly does, various forms of religious titillation. This action of God in the liturgy, which takes place through human speech, is the real action for which all creation is in expectation. The elements of the earth are transubstantiated, pulled, so to speak, from their creaturely anchorage, grasped at the deepest ground of their being, and changed into the body and blood of our Lord. The new heaven and the new earth are anticipated. The real action in the liturgy in which we are all supposed to participate is the action of God himself. This is what is new and distinctive about Christian liturgy. God himself acts and does what is essential. <laughs> the cross is the approbation of our existence not in words but in an act so completely radical 
that it caused God to become flesh and pierce this flesh to the quick, that to God it was worth the death of his incarnate Son, one who is so loved that the other identifies his life with this love and no longer desires to live if he is deprived of it, one who is loved even unto death, such a one knows that he is truly loved. But if God so loves us, then we are loved in truth. Then love is truth, and truth is love. And then life is worth living. This is the gospel. This is why, even as the message of the cross, it is glad tidings for one who believes. The only glad tidings that destroy the ambiguity of all other joys and make them even worthy to be joy. Christianity is, by its very nature, joy. The ability to be joyful. There is no other moment of greater solemnity than the liturgy of the holy sacrifice of the Mass. The joy which comes from our participation in it is a joy that is superior to the happiness which comes from entertainment. This joy is better than the momentary satisfaction of emotions. The joy that comes from Christ comes with peace and tranquility. The Christian joy that flows from the love of God for ourselves also brings us to love more profoundly God himself and our neighbor. Those who desire to be entertained in the church will always find reasons to leave the church. They will search for a denomination that gives them better entertainment. But they will lose that greatest, most profound joy that is only found when we adore God solemnly and when we are present at the offering of the holy sacrifice at a Mass where we may receive love incarnate in the Eucharist. This is what we get um, in conversation all the time. If the church just wouldn't be so hard anymore, if it would just lighten up on its expectations, I'd come back. No, you wouldn't. Right? You're living quite apart from what the church teaches anyways. Why would you care? People want upbeat, peppy music. Because supposedly that's going to keep all our young children in church. Well, we've been doing that for 50 years. How's it going? 
It's not. They can see if we believe. They can see if we believe. If incarnate love is upon our altars, they can see it. In what we sing, in the way that we move, and how we receive communion, the world can see it. And sad to say, they're not convinced, brothers and sisters. It looks for all the world like a sham in so many various places. I get the people who say, I'm not going to come to church because you're all hypocrites. Yes. Yeah, that's right. We are sinners, every single one of us. But we have found a reason to continue living. We have found something that, that speaks to the deepest longing of the human heart. And it cannot be found anywhere else. As Catholics, we're, we're the absolute worst at public relations. We have the most profound, most beautiful thing in the whole world, and it seems like we're hiding it from everyone. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, just make the liturgy more and more complicated, put layers and layers and layers and layers upon it. We don't want to turn it into entertainment on the other end of the spectrum either. What will convince the world is that the Eucharist that we adore, that we offer to the Father, changes our lives, our minds, and our hearts. If they can see it in us, they will discover the beauty of him who loves us so much he was willing to die for us upon the cross and still loves us so much that he's willing to hide under the forms of bread and wine that you might know that you are loved and your life is worth living. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Anne Roman Catholic Podcast. For additional podcasts and media, visit us on the web at www.sanaz.org. Again, that's www.stanneaz.org. St. Anne, pray for us.